Hello and welcome to the Meeple and GameStack podcast, a podcast all about board games, whether it's getting into them, getting the most out of them, or just having a good time. This is podcast number 18, and as always, I'm your host, Mitch Brown. And on today's podcast, we are going to be covering, first off, some games I've been playing recently, then we're going to be diving into today's topic and the associated two featured games as we kick off and launch into the first part of the first designer month here on the Meeple and GameStack podcast. And the first designer that we're going to be covering, you probably already know from the title of this podcast, that is Uwe Rosenberg. One of the largest names in board gaming, and one whose games I haven't really covered. And in a moment we'll hear about why I picked him first, and a bit more about what this designer month thing is after uh, what I've been playing recently. So first off, for what I've been playing recently, I recently had the chance to pick up Res Arcana, designed by Thomas Lehman and published by Sandcastle Games. So what Res Arcana is, is... You are a type of wizard or spellcaster or sorceress or basically a spellcaster, and you are trying to gather an array of lands and artifacts and magical creatures to aid you in becoming the supreme wizard. To be honest, the theming is mostly very thin as to what you're actually doing. You're just kind of becoming a stronger wizard, I guess, but it is very much a engine builder. So as you gather these cards and lands and artifacts, all of them are cogs in a machine that you are trying to build and rev up until you can use it to acquire more and more until you are the winner. This game is very enjoyable, honestly very good. It is absolutely an engine builder or slash tableau builder since technically you're grabbing these cards and adding them to a tableau in front of you, but very much it's just using what you have to try to get more to use that to try to get more and really rev up yeah an engine (laughs) i know i've said that a lot but really that is the heart and soul and very like core essence of this game there's not really that much else to it there's a little bit of interactiveness between the players but largely it's just acquiring these cards before your competitors have generating more mana or resource or energy that can let you acquire more things to let you rinse and repeat until you're the winner and try to do so faster than your opponents. Overall, this is a great production. The art in it is excellent. I quite enjoy it. The tray that actually comes with the game is a nice addition. Having it all organized already for you instead of just a bunch of plastic bags is lovely, as well as it's usable during the game, so I quite enjoy that. Yeah, the theme is mostly a light dusting. I mean, your spells and stuff are very thematic, but what you're actually doing is a little nebulous. Yeah, I really don't have any problems with this game. It's very palatable, it's very kind of easy to learn, but hard to master. Yeah, it's just really great, and the engine building, and when you really kick that into higher gears, it is really satisfying and really a good time. So this is one to check out, and one that I quite like, and look forward to diving into more throughout the year to try to figure out more of it. Figure out how deep the depths go. (laughs) My one... Uh, niggle here is just a slight bit of why, I guess, is that they have the different elements that you gather. You gather life energy, death energy for the different parts of magic. You have water, and then you have Eflam, which is literally, they're little red tokens. They look like little fire wisps, but they're Eflam. 
Why are they Ephlam? Why is that? That's so bizarre that of all the things that they don't really rename, it's not its own world necessarily. Like terms are left mostly generic. It's so bizarre that they have chosen to not use fire energy or they have water. And then the diametric opposite is this flan, this flan energy, which is kind of what we ended up calling it because it's just kind of a weirdly ridiculous name in a way that is very bizarre. Maybe that's like a signature touch of des the designer or something, or an inside joke that they just decided to keep because they liked, but yeah, bizarre choice and a very, very minor scratch in the near-perfect paint on this one. Quickly, I'm going to cover some games I've been playing recently that I had a chance to play. They're mostly one-offs and stuff that I've talked about before, but here goes, we've been playing more Kulami. It continues to be wonderful quick chess. Highly recommend checking it out more. If you haven't yet, I know I've mentioned it a bunch, but it is just very classy, very good looking, and a very deep and enjoyable game. Been trying more Legend of the Five Rings with uh, the lovely Caitlin, who has previously been on the show. And, well, that's going all right, because honestly, it is a very, very... Complicated. Just straight up complicated. I don't even know how deep it goes, but it is certainly very complicated with just the amount of moving parts and things that you can do. It absolutely... Caitlin is still learning it, so I understand that she's very much getting frustrated with it, and that is definitely points off of the design, or certainly of my teaching ability, not sure. But I love the art, I love the story of it, and I love the theming around it. It's all very interesting, and I continue to try to figure this one out. Also had a chance to play a couple rounds of Ethnos, another great family game. <laughs> and this one, the chant, the chant pick up or play was definitely implemented with some mild suggesting from me. Uh, however, it, I think that actually enhances this game because on your turn in Ethnos, what you can do is so simple. It's literally pick up a card or play a stack of cards. Your turn should be less than like a second most of the time or one second. Literally just pick up a card next. And I understand there's a level of strategy, but I don't think this is the game for that. Like, yes, you can have an overarching strategy. Sometimes you can look and see where you want to do things or what you're going for in particular. But because it plays with higher amounts of people, goes up to six. And if you're playing with that, use everyone else's turns to consider that and then just know what you're going for on your turn so that, you know, you don't have to get chanted at going pick up or play, pick up or play, pick up or play. Um, and I really, as much as this can be like kind of a hassling tactic by everybody else, I do think it enhances the experience and is kind of a fun way of razzing people who are taking a fair bit of time or <laughs> trying to play the game much slower than it, I think it's intended to be. Also had a chance to play more cartographers and having a chance to play it with different people and really having it click with some people that I really didn't think it would. It continues to be interesting and good and pretty light. But yeah, just a good time, and I look forward to playing more of that as well. So still recommend Cartographers. All right, and now time for the topic, which is part one of the first ever Meeple Little GameStack Designer Month, focusing on Uwe Rosenberg. So as to why I'm doing these Designer Months is I freely acknowledge that I'm kind of newer to board games. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you kind of already know this, but I haven't been playing them you know, too long. I'm, it's been a couple of years and that's enough to kind of know what I'm doing and be able to talk about them in an intelligent way, but I certainly don't have the huge critical backlog that a lot of people in the, in board gaming media have, and I want to work on that 
as a critic to be able to know what's out there a little bit more, to know how things compare to the old kind of well-regarded classics. So I'm doing months featuring famous designers and their well-regarded classic works. And first off, I'm coming to Uwe Rosenberg. And as to why I chose Uwe to do first, I actually found a list of all the kind of top designers. I mean, I found a bunch of sources of stuff, but this one ranked them based off of how well-regarded their work was or how many games they had in the, you know, higher numbers on Board Game Geek. So, of course, as I go through these, they're not going to be in any hard order, but Uwe Rosenberg has absolutely made some of the best-regarded games out there, and as well as some that are absolute classics. So I'm trying to review them to gain a better understanding of his work, as well as take a look at these classics for myself for the first time. As for this designer, I hadn't actually... I mean, I'd heard of him, but I did not know concretely too much about him before this, so... Basically, how these months are going to go is I will cover their games, try to do their greatest hits, or the ones that I, in my research, find to be most representative of their body of work. And of course, you can disagree with me on this, and feel free to tweet at me at MeepleGameStack on Twitter, and tell me if you think I've left out any gems or things that you think better represent these designers. But how this is going to work is I'm going to cover their games, maybe do for the month I'm going to do two podcasts leading up, and then a final one on what I think kind of of their work, what I'd learned, and a bit more of a review for the last one. So to clarify, going into this, I didn't really know too much about Uwe Rosenberg's work other than basically the guy who made <laughs> agricultural Euro games. It was basically the reputation he had, quite well regarded, but I didn't know concretely too much about his work, and I certainly hadn't played either of today's two feature games before now. So for this designer, I chose to cover four of his top games. I'm going to reveal the last two on next week's episode, but the first two that I chose to feature on are today's feature games are Agricola and Patchwork. Both of them very highly regarded, both on the top 100 of Board Game Geek, and two different ones that I thought would be good, his classics, and also representative of kind of different styles of his. So first, let's talk about Agricola for the first feature game. And I actually played the revised edition. I know there is the original, which is a early 2000s, I believe 2006 production. I actually played the revised edition. Just for reference so that you know, I understand that they are quite similar. However, diehard fans will, of course, find huge differences between them. However, as someone kind of going into it for the first time, I figured the revised and streamlined edition would be a better pick. So this is Agricola, of course, designed by Uwe Rosenberg and published by Lookout Games. So this is to cover, basically, first off, it is absolutely a classic. It's still high up on the top 100 of Board Game Geek. It was number one game for, I believe, a few years. Honestly, I have heard the name Agricola thrown around so much that it has been so interesting and just enjoyable for me to actually find out what this game has been about. Yeah, this is absolutely the most agricultural Euro game from the guy who I knew I basically knew for doing agricultural Euro games. The theme of it is you are a Middle Ages German farmer trying to subsist off the land and grow your crops and livestock and provide for your family and grow your family. The theme is delightfully quaint. It is enjoyable and very, like, 
pastoral. It very much gives me a bit of the feeling of basically like Hobbiton, if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies, just kind of an enjoyable pastoral time. To my very much spoiled 2020 eyes, the art for Agricola is very much dated. I won't beat around the bush. It very much looks... It's showing its age. And there are games this old, their art has stood the test of time a little better. I understand for lots of people that's probably part of the charm. But yeah, just the art for this game is... Is it blasphemy to say that they could do an edition with better art? But uh, I understand people like that. But yeah, very much compared to 2020 standards, the art does not really hold up. However, as far as production, the... It's... I mean, of course I'm spoiled in 2020. And advertised on the box is with wooden tokens. I'm like, oh, was that a was that a thing? Was that was this a pioneer of having wooden tokens? But as far as production, the wooden tokens and player boards and cards are all very satisfying to the touch. They're well produced. So, <laughs> uh, if the art agrees with you more, it's an excellent game for that. But as for the design of this. I guess I should lead up with what I had heard of Agricola. Yeah, of course, it's the classic. It's very highly regarded, but I definitely heard it referred to as the Misery Farmers game. And going into it, I absolutely thought it was going to be some, like, Stygian challenge where my farmers were dropping dead at the slightest touch. Pure, terrible, soul-wrenching effort of keeping them alive and growing your stuff was super hard. After playing it, yeah, I understand that you have to feed your people, and yes, you can lose points for not having enough food if you miscalculate, but as soon as you know that that is a requirement, I've literally never had anyone I've played with or myself have that be an issue. So that was interesting, looking back into the dark heart of older board games being... Basically, because people talk about games from the early 2000s as being particularly vicious or bitey or cruel, but this is was very much... It was very bizarre coming from that impression to what the game actually is. And yes, so one of the mechanics of the game is that you have to feed your people. At the end of various rounds of the games, there's a harvest where you can reap crops, your animals will reproduce, and you have to feed your people. But as soon as you know that that is a condition... That's fine, you just have to plan for it in advance. The only way I can see this being really terrible is if someone really didn't, like, stress that to you when you were taught, and then you lost badly because of it. And I understand that would probably be a pretty unenjoyable experience, but largely I never really found that to be too much of a problem, so that was interesting. Um, I do think having the, you know, the, these turns where you have to... Basically, I, I think of it as putting gas in your engine made it a really interesting engine builder, because this absolutely is. You start with very little, and you're trying to turn that very little into as much as you possibly can. But I thought it was an interesting addition of having this slow attrition of your resources as you build your engine. I thought it made for an interesting balance and kind of a more unique dynamic, because I haven't really seen that in a lot of engine builders. Most of the time, they are planned like a roller coaster where it's supposed to start slow enough that the later turns become satisfying and the later turns it ramps up until you can finally launch off the end and win the game and the game should end basically once that launch has happened but this very much made it i'd say if the other one was a roller coaster this one is a oh i've run out of analogies for high moving vehicles this is a particularly windy road yes you're going to build up speed, I guess, as you go, but there are downturns as well. But 
it makes it just extra challenges that you can bounce off of because if you plan for this and your opponents do not, you can just continue to kind of use it to speed up your engine. So I found it a very interesting challenge and a very fun engine to spin up. And very much to me, I've played a lot of video games, so you might not get the reference, but this very much feels like in theme and gameplay as, I mean, it's very much a farming game, but it feels like Stardew Valley, the board game. So if you're coming to this podcast from uh, video games, looking at board games, you might find this immensely satisfying if that's the kind of challenge that you enjoy. And a couple more points. However, a negative point besides the art that, of course, I mean, that's just time. Of course, art in board games has increased and gotten better and better and better over the years, so it's pretty unfair to compare. But one thing that is kind of a tough sell here is that the, I mean, the manual's fine. I <laughs> I can manage that. But the teach on this game is pretty rough. I, th- I think the game is not complicated. It is complex. And I think it goes pretty deep. I haven't had, you know, I've had it for less than a month and played it as many times as I could, of course. But yeah, I haven't had chances to really plumb the depths of it. But it's not a terribly complicated game. But the teach on it is rough because what you actually do on the turns is not actually that complicated. You, But the thing is, what you are doing is entirely predicated on your knowledge of the systems of the game. And there's a system for crops, there's a system for animals, there's a system for house expansion, there's a system for expanding your family, and teaching all of these systems occupations and upgrades and producing food, and all of it makes it a pretty rough teach, I have found, and getting people into the game is difficult. Once they're in, I think it is, you know, worth it satisfying, but just getting people over that initial hump is pretty rough. I don't want to be too pompous here, but I think if there was ever a second or third edition, I'm not sure, a revised, revised edition, if you will. I feel like a, I don't know, a pared down module or something to help teach the game. Maybe a version where you have a limited amount of people and you literally just like produce crops and build your house and like try to get half of the game in so that you can get people playing without this huge hump of kind of learning before you start. Of course, you can just throw people in and I mean, Partially, this is a quirk of mine, is that I play with people who are competitive and want to, even on their first play, be competing. So I don't have the luxury of trying games where I teach them to people, where I can just throw them in and explain as we go. They definitely all want to know before we start playing. So yeah, I mean, I'm not anyone to be critiquing one of the best board game designers work ever, but if there was ever a new edition of this, I would love to see a easier way to teach it. But yeah, for the design of this one, I found every part of the mechanics to be incredibly rock solid. And that's, I mean, the best way that I can articulate the game feel and experience of this is just rock solid. There's not a lot of like extra bells and whistles. It's not overblown theme without substance. This game is just nothing but substance. It is incredibly (laughs) hearty and nutritious as the farm foods that you're probably producing. It's not flashy, but it absolutely is, yeah, just rock solid. Okay, and one more thing that I found about Agricola is that is very interesting, especially to me from, I guess, a more modern perspective, is the intense focus on being a generalist. In most games that you play now, or at least that I have played, if there's a bunch of aspects that lead you towards victory, you can absolutely focus on one, specialize on it, and try to push that to its max to win. 
usually that's like a good strategy. You can just be the whatever guy in Agricola. You could be the, the farming guy or the harvesting guy or the vegetable guy or the animal guy and like do that thing to the exclusion of everything else and do it much harder than everyone else and have that lead you to victory. But a result of the scoring system within Agricola is that you really can't do that. It does not reward you for specializing. You will actually lose points if you don't cover your bases on basically every area of the game. And to me, this was really bizarre, a really interesting stroke that you are encouraged to be a generalist. And that is the best way to win the game, which I mean, I'm not sure if I love or hate it yet because it's just very different. Like usually if when in any game when there's many paths to victory, you can do any of those and try to focus on that one to the exclusion of all others, but this really doesn't reward you for doing so, and it's just an interesting, interesting focus for the game. And I guess makes it, I don't know, more competitive, because in a worker placement game where everyone has to focus on everything, I guess it keeps everyone competing with each other for all the spaces that everyone needs. If you were just the vegetables guy, or just the animals guy, you could then focus on those spaces and try to basically claim them for the game and make sure that you're the one using them the most and edge people out. But because everyone needs everything, it keeps everyone kind of competing over these spaces. Bizarre. I mean, to me, bizarre, but I think it's a really good stroke that really tightens uh, the experience of Agricola together. So yeah, that is what I've had my kind of experience with Agricola so far. And I actually quite like this game. I quite enjoy it. I enjoy the kind of dense systems and playing off them. That really is part of what I really enjoy about games. So this is going to make it into my collection. However, best game ever. I don't know if it's quite up there. And I really, this game is really good, but I'm not sure. I mean, already, I guess it's a mark of how good this game is that it's making me kind of evaluate how I evaluate games. Yeah, I don't have a definitive rating or where I would put it yet, but yeah, it's making it into my collection. I quite enjoy it. I don't know if it's a 10 out of 10 game for me. I think it's a great game. I don't know if it's amazing. And I think that's basically the conclusion I'm going to have to come to for now until I can play it a lot more. And hopefully I will continue to, and I'm going to try to do so throughout the year. So that was Agricola. Next up is Patchwork, once again designed, of course, by Uwe Rosenberg and published also by Lookout Games. So what Patchwork is, is a two-player dueling tile-laying game with some kind of unique twists to it. So what theme is you're making a patchwork? Quilt, basically, is what I've always heard them called. I'm not sure if they're called patchworks elsewhere, but this is absolutely a quilt, is what I would, you know, the garment is what I've heard it referred to as. So what you're doing throughout the game is filling out this patchwork. You're constructing this quilt. You are given a grid that you have to get tiles to fill up and try to get the most points. An interesting part of this is you actually arrange these tiles in a ring around the kind of central board. The central board marks sort of time units in a spiral towards the end. So there's a hard end on the game. And each time you grab a tile, you have to pay for it with buttons, which you start with a certain amount. And you also have to move your token along this kind of time tracking board. And at certain increments along this time tracking board is 
basically a payday is how I think of it, but it's how many buttons you have on your pieces, on your quilt, and based off of that, that's how many buttons you'll receive, which you can then, then use to spend on more tiles to add pieces to your quilt. So there's a bit of, you know, that engine in there. So as you place these tiles onto the board, it basically you have to choose priorities and are you going to go for the tiles that will give you the most points on these paydays? But what that those often do is launch you down the track and you'll move a bunch of spaces past your opponent. Another thing that you can do on your turn, apart from just getting these tiles and placing them, is you can actually just catch up with your opponent and you'll be re rewarded in buttons, which is basically money for this game, for each space that you have to move up to catch them. And this is a great balance because, yeah, you can absolutely run out of money if you don't build your engine great, but it also makes it so that you can't just go for only the very high-paying pieces because often, basically, they'll launch you too far forward on this time thing. And just like Agricola, Patchwork focuses on being a generalist. You have to focus on coverage and not... You can't just fill your map quickly and then end it and focus on coverage, or you can't just focus on high payout pieces because then you won't fill your map by the end of this time board. I feel like it's another, after playing Agricola and kind of finding that strong bent towards being a generalist as opposed to being specialized, I found it also kind of present, I guess, another flavor in a different dish from the same chef, and just a very interesting touch into Patchwork. But yes, with Patchwork, making the quilt is once again delightfully quaint. I think that's also a element that's present here across both games. Uh, components are super satisfying and well-made. And bizarrely for me, maybe it's the focus on not specializing or just the balance between the different kind of play styles as you move across this board and balance grabbing pieces is that I'm terrible at this game. I've almost exclusively lost it. I think I've won like once of the games that I've played. It, for some reason, my brain could not wrap my noodle around kind of the balance of it. I'm certainly improving with plays, but it's just a bizarre one for me and kind of an interesting yeah, just part of this game. And once again, I think another thing is, yeah, the, I mean, it's a little tougher for me to say that the mechanics here are rock solid because I certainly haven't like grasped them nearly as well as I did with Agricola. Agricola is of course just maximizing systems and with that focus on being a generalist here, maximizing the system for me of course it's much less dense and complicated than agricola but it's a lot harder for me so it's i with with less certainty that i say it's once again rock solid in its mechanics i think this one could also have a decent amount of death a de well rough i mean you shouldn't be dying in your game about quilts a decent amount of depth to it i've done my best to unearth what i could but i definitely haven't seen, of course, the depths of it, but I think they're certainly there, which is interesting because, yeah, simple two-player games that take maybe a half hour usually can't, and that's usually the mark of a really good one when they can have a decent amount of depth. So this is a very interesting game that I'm going to keep playing. I, I'm still on the fence whether it's going to make it into my collection per se, maybe once I've figured it out a little more, but Certainly a very good game, and certainly a very interesting one. This one is very different, and has some unique bits to it that I think are worth checking out if you're interested. And yeah, those are my findings so far with Uwe Rosenberg's games. 
I think one of his most famous and then one of his, I guess, more interesting designs, at least I thought so, for my choice of patchwork. It was kind of to get out of the super heavy Euro games that he has made and try one of his more, you know, interesting and unique designs with my choice of patchwork. So yeah, very interesting. I look forward to finding out whether my suspicions are going to be confirmed by his other games. Maybe there'll be wildly reward specialization and I'll just be just woefully wrong. I look forward to finding out. But that is going to bring us to the end of the podcast and our end of our part one of our focus on board game designer Uwe Rosenberg. So as always, big thanks to the artist Grumpy Snorlax for the use of their song Cerulean as the intro and outro music for this podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to support it, I would of course encourage you to give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. I mean, five stars if you think it's been great. I would really appreciate it. But of course, the best way to grow the podcast at this time is just telling a friend, sharing it with people that love board games and this hobby that we both enjoy. I would really appreciate it. But what lies next? What will be the two other games that I'm going to cover by Uwe Rosenberg? Look forward to finding out what those are in the next episode. And of course, I mentioned so earlier, but if you think Uwe Rosenberg has some great works that I'm not covering, or he has some unique gems or diamonds in the rough that you think are underappreciated by this designer, I'd love to hear your recommendations and your experiences with things. Please let me know. I'm on Twitter at MeepleGameStack. Or you can shoot me an email at meepleinagamestack at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And I, yeah, I just want to absorb more of this designer's work because I think it's really interesting. And it's been very enjoyable for me to kind of lift the veil of hearsay and kind of take a look for myself on these kinds of things. So, of course, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.